1: It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us.
0: Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And you are joined today by Jacob um, well, myself, Jacob, as your um, one of your presenters today, and I'll introduce the other um, co-presenter. Uh,
2: Chloe, good morning, Jacob, and everyone at home or in your car going to work
3: or wherever you are.
0: Um, before um, before we begin, um, I'd like to acknowledge that Free CR today is being broadcast to you from the Wurundjeri land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land um, and that sovereignty has never been ceded. Now, to give I'll give you just a bit of a just a bit give you um a bit of an insight into what we have kind of coming up. Um we get, we are actually going to be having uh two live interviews um for for this week. Um so actually one of our f- um fellow free CR presenters Kelly Wit um Kelly Whitworth is going to be joining us today um to actually talk about this um the launch of this new research by um 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 by both um Kelly Whitworth and Mike Collins from the Melbourne Social Equity Institute Community and basically it's going to be basically um discussing um this research which discusses new housing um new approaches to housing action uh in response to you know basically research on this on the Bendigo kind of street kind of occupation which was actually something that um Green Left Radio actually from its um when that um, campaign was at its height we actually covered that campaign very regularly um with kind of regular interviews um, I was also um, I was also a participant in that um, protest. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be um, talking a bit. Um, we're going to be having a bit of discussion with Kelly and Mike about that. Um, and then we're going to be joined um, by Catherine um, Strong from Extinction Rebellion, who's going to be talking about um, the Occupy for the Climate that the Extinction Rebellion is planning for the end of May. And then early on in the program, we'll be playing a recording of a talk by Rohana Um uh, which, um, which she spoke at a public forum that was organised by Green Left on Tuesday, uh, the 18th of April, on opposing aukus and militarism in the Asia Pacific. So, I guess probably to kind of start off a bit of a kind of discussion. Um, usually, we go through some head, uh, a bit of a kind of headline news story from from the activists um, from the activists kind of space, and generally try to cover kind of stories, you know, against uh, against oppression. And I guess probably one important sort of story and a, a bit of a very concerning development, and this is following on from what we've actually been previously covered, but probably our listeners have been aware, but there's been a very emboldened kind. Um, the right wing have been, and the far right have been, consistently have been organising and mobilising around the issue of, of opposing trans rights and actually pushing rare, um, transphobia. And essentially um, they've been targeting, um, they've been... Targeting um, local kind of council kind of meetings, um, who have been because a number of local councils have been organising you know LGBTI um, Q events, including um, drag queen um, drag story time events for, um, for um, aimed at, at aimed at children at um, local libraries and and so on. So there was actually very concerning around hundreds of around over a hundred um, right wing kind of far right protesters. Basically, protest against a local council meeting on on um, by the Monash City Council on Wednesday, and essentially these these groups such as My Place and Reignite Democracy Australia, um, which are basically far right kind of groups espousing conspiracy theory thinking and very much hostile to the um community, basically rallied supporters to. To essentially descend on the Monash Council offices in Glen Waverley on Wednesday night to basically demand the cancellation of a sold-out drag queen event in, at the Oakley, uh, Oakley Library, and I think was, there was—I think the, the crowd was estimated over 190 people—and they basically attempted to disrupt the meeting. Um, and I guess possibly one, I guess, positive thing has been that, you know, the council, unlike some, there has been some instances where local councils just cave in to the sort of pressure and just cancelled the event. Um, at this point, they haven't made a decision to cancel the event at this stage, although we can't, obviously can't rule it out. Like, I think, obviously, we have to oppose. I don't think we should be giving in mm. to any kind of threats mm-hmm. from from the far right to cancel uh, these events. Yeah. Um especially since in you know in actual reality when you look at the um the big sort of trans rights mobilization that happened um um that happened recently you know there is actually a very strong level of public support um for this and very much what the far right represents is a minority but of course a minority that is actually increasingly being in, emboldened and it's been emboldened by a lot of the developments that have been obviously happening in the United States because the republicans and um are basically and the far right and all sorts of right-wing forces are basically using transphobia as a sort of the main kind of key issue by which to mobilise their supporters.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. The right-wing culture wars have now really shifted their focus towards demonising trans people, and they're using this, you know, they are trying to undermine the left to create this barrier between ordinary people, working-class people, and, the, and, you know, they are really tra- targeting all trans people. And we've also been hearing reports that comedian, cabaret, and cabaret star and drag artist Ruben Kay has been forced to pull out of the Sydney Comedy Festival after threats from Mark Latham and Christian Live Matter fascists. So, you know, it would be important to get to this rally call by Campaign Against. Um, racism and fascism at Oakley Library next Friday it's to protest to defend drag time story time uh, drag story time and stop the far right um, we can't let the Nazis win. I mean if we allow councils to just keep shutting down every drag event every time there's a threat that really empowers the Nazis and their free speech and it shuts down our free speech so hopefully we can make sure that you know we're living in a place that doesn't keep following the the trend of the u s where there's you know you can see how the dangerous trend over there there's this growth of far right forces um over there thirty six u s states have introduced bills that attack trans people's rights, especially trans youth,
0: yeah and um i think yeah i think it's definitely i think it was definitely concerning the the images that we kind of saw on that wednesday night but so i'm i'm hoping we have a good kind of left wing kind of response mm-hmm. um and yeah i think um i think this pro the protest on friday will be very important to kind of attend um now just an, and just another quick kind of news story um and this is possibly something we'll actually cover in um future kind of interviews um, but the, but the state of, um, Victoria basically just voted, um, to raise, um, the age of criminal responsibility to 14 within four years. Um, basically, you know, this is, this is, I think, I think this is a bit of a, a problematic move, not the fact that they're, they're committing to raising the age of criminal responsibility to 40 in fact I basically believe it should but the fact that we think it taking, should be raised to 16 um, but the fact that that is it is going to be done within four years mm. I think is actually you know it is actually I think it's a kind of example of how inefficient sort of state institutions can be and and currently right now um, um, the the age of responsibility is actually currently 10 mm. um, so there's there's or you know, a lot of youth justice advocates and other organisations have already been criticised and they're saying there's already ample evidence to support raising the age um, of 14. And then the government then responds by saying, oh, well, we're going to do it incrementally. Um, And I think, you know, at the end, um, at the end, you know, this is actually going to impact on people's lives when actually they could actually make the immediate change. The evidence is actually there. Um, This whole you know, this whole idea that, you know, the government just can't make a, a, a sudden change, I think is a bit, you know, I think it's a bit um, a bit ridiculous in quite a lot mm. of ways. Um, and I think we try to probably cover interviews, speaking with youth justice groups about, you know, why it is actually important to raise the age of um, um, criminal responsibility to 14 at the very minimum. You know, children should not be yeah uh, imprisoned, uh, especially since disproportionately um, this effect impacts on first nations children um, and I think yeah we we definitely got it i think we we definitely should get behind cause to raise the age of criminal responsibility to fourteen immediately.
2: yeah, Australia has one of the lowest ages of criminal responsibility in the world, and this is a huge problem here. I mean most people most children in prison come from backgrounds that are disadvantaged and you know you were saying like first nations youth they're more likely to be targeted by police and taken to court and jailed um and most people most of these children held in custody are actually unsentenced um they can just you know they're just ripped away from their communities and dumped in these facilities hundreds of kilometers away from their families and it is a struggle to build a life once you've been incarcerated um and the incarceration rates for First Nations young people are 18 times higher than that of other youth. It's, it's, um, you know, and that's why there's so many black deaths in custody as well. Um, First Nations people account for more than half the prison population. And, you know, that's why we campaign against the, um, the Dondale, um, youth detention. I mean, Labour governments in Western Victoria, um, Western Australia and the Northern Ter- Ter- Territory are continuing to lock Children up. I mean, instead of bulldozing public housing, we should be tearing down places like Dondale Youth Detention, that holds, it's currently holding 38 children, and the majority of them are Indigenous.
0: But yeah, this is definitely um, in terms of this um, covering this sort of initial news now. So we definitely want to sort of cover a, a bit more detail from you know having discussions with um, youth justice advocates and potentially First Nations voices on why you know why we have to um, why we have to get behind the cause to raise the age of responsibility. Okay, well um, I might just go play a quick few um, a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR eight five five AM.
4: I've had a few jobs over the years, none I've really loved. My mate suggested I use my skills to teach. Turns out I only needed to study for under two years. Now I'm in demand in a secure career I love.
5: Come on kids, gather
4: round. Are you ready? Fast track your study and start teaching
6: sooner with an accelerated learning program. Visit vic.gov.au forward slash teach the future. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.
3: A 3CR supporter.
7: Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Well, drop them in at 3CR and put them in the books and boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book.
0: Good morning, listeners. You're jo- um, you're you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM, and we're just going through a number of kind of headline kind of news stories, including um, threats um, by the far right to um, um, LGBTIQ events, and we also um, spoke about the recent announcement by the Victorian um, government uh, that where they're committing to raising the age of, uh, of criminal responsibility to from. Um, to the age of 14 within four years. Now, I was going to, um, for the next part of the program, um, this was, um, we're going to play a, a recording of a talk by Rohana um who is a socialist activist with the Party um, part of the Labouring Masses, which is based within the Philippines. Now, this was a public forum that was... Um, Titled "Militarism and War in the Age of Pacific: Why AUKUS is a Disaster for Humanity," and it took place on Tuesday, um, the 18th of April. But basically, this was a public forum that featured a panel of kind of speakers, you know, responding to the announcement by the Albanese government that Australia will buy nuclear-powered submarines from the United States and Britain for $368 billion, and why this kind of represents a massive escalation of militarism in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, one of the good, um, fascinating things about Rahana's kind of perspective is she very much draws from the kind of Filipino kind of experience, um, in terms of, you know, what, what is, what is the meaning of this kind of military alliance for, you know, a country like the Philippines, which is in the mist, um, which is geographically kind of located within you know, in the midst of all the, of the kind of conflict between, um, between the, you know, um, Australia, the United States, the AUKUS sort of alliance and, and this sort of supposed kind of threat of China. And of course, the forum obviously focuses on the question of actually opposing any kind of war, uh, between these, between these kind of, um, between these capitalist powers. So yeah, hope, um, listeners enjoy, uh, listening to, um, to the speech. I'll play it, um, now. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM
3: hello everyone and uh, thank you for inviting me to speak today and solidarity greetings from the from b l m the party de la casta masa uh philippines i think there might be some comrades from the philippines uh, uh in the room zoom room today if if you are um because some of you promised to attend <laughs> uh madamegabe <laughs> And uh, welcome. Uh, I, I agree with the political anal- analysis of the previous speakers that the central aim of the Pivot to Asia strategy and Washington's foreign policy today is curbing the rising economic weight of China and its rapidly increasing influence in the Asia-Pacific in order to regain Washington's strategic balance through a direct competition with China. And this also includes the alliances that China is forming, such as with Russia, but, of course, this region has always been an important one for the colonial powers. It's not something that just changed around the time of the Obama administration. There's a long history here uh, an important one for the colonial powers and more recently after Second World War, for the United States and the imperialist blocks of the glo- imperialist bloc of the global north, to the colonial wars against China to subjugate the Chinese people and their struggle for liberation to the imperialist wars against liberation struggles in Korea, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, bases and military treaties, political interventions to set up and prop up dictatorships uh, and so on. Uh, It's a bloody history uh, of intervention uh, in the region. And uh, of course, more recently, uh, and of course this was done under the guise of the spread of communism which uh, uh were uh, in, which threatened uh, imperialist uh, global capitalist interests uh, but of course uh, more recently uh, the the uh, new factor if you like is uh, the rise of china and its influence globally and uh, Um, As uh, Jacob pointed out, the National Security Strategy paper under the Biden administration uh, makes this very clear. And uh, the National Security Advisor for Biden, Jake Sullivan, asserted that the post-Cold War detente with Beijing is over. It took a Republican (laughs) to create detente. And of course, it takes the Liberal Democrats to be the uh, sounders of the war drum. Uh, and at the recent Congress of the Chinese Communist Party, President Xi Jinping warned that China faced stormy weather um, or that stormy weather was ahead. Uh, a rather classic understatement, but this was, you know, threaded right through uh, the speech uh, and the presentations at the uh, CP Congress. And we, we should also note here that this push, this escalation, uh, or, or militarization, this military escalation in the region takes place at a time when there is a multiple crisis of capitalism. Uh, the economic crisis, the social crisis, the political crisis, and of course the major thing that uh, really frames uh, um, uh, the existen- existential crisis, which is uh, the climate emergency. So it's in this context uh, that this uh, 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 escalation is taking place where this struggle is taking place especially led by the United States for the hegemony of the uh, global north um, today um, and uh, we call this the triad of aggression, AUKUS uh, Jacob has outlined it, Quad, but also the neoliberal economic uh, offensive integration continues in uh, uh, IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity, with a dozen countries initially joining America's brand new ne- neoliberal project targeting Asian markets for super profits. So, of course, the, the primary thrust of the strategy is a military one, but the economic integration, the, the, the neoliberal offensive uh, to uh, get, to exploit Asian markets, to exploit the markets in the Pacific for their super profits, for the super profits of the big corporations, of the powers of the global north, continues. This does not, this has, they will not let go of that either. Of course, the South China Sea Dispute is a very important one for our region, for the countries in the region, especially in ASEAN, where China claims sovereignty over the seas um, and the estimated 11 billion barrels of untapped oil and 190 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, etc. The area is also a major trade route, and the the competing claimants are Brunei, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, and Vietnam. Um, Now, in uh, July 2016, the Permanent Court of Arbitration at The Hague issued its ruling on a claim brought against China by the Philippines under the UN Convention of the Law of the Sea, UNCLOS, uh, and it ruled in favor of the Philippines on almost every count. And we welcome this. The progressive movement in the Philippines welcomed this as a victory, as a partial victory uh, for the Philippines. The Philippines has renamed the area that it claims as the West Philippine Sea. So the South China Sea, the part that's claimed by Philippines, is now called the, called the West Philippine Sea. And the resolution was sponsored in Congress by the former congressman and PLM candidate for the vice president in the last national elections, Walden Bello. Walden Bello described the ruling, the Hague ruling, as a flawed victory saying that the hard verdict is not an undiluted victory for the Philippines, and at least in the short term, it will not unlock the door to peace in the region. And he was absolutely right. Our position is for a two-pronged approach to the dispute around the South China Sea, which is both a military de-escalation and multilateral agreements. Unfortunately, China has taken to using unilateral moves to secure what it sees as a defensive parameter instead of cooperating with other countries in ASEAN to reach multilateral agreements. We describe this as bullying tactics driven by an an aggressive nationalism. China has unilaterally claimed over 90% of the South China Sea with its infamous nine-dash line map that has no historical or legal basis and it has moved to grab, for military reasons, maritime formations like Stavaro Shore and Mischief Reef that are in the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines. There is no excuse for actions like this, which Beijing must stop, and China must engage in negotiations with ASEAN countries that have legal claims in the South China Sea to bring about a peaceful territorial settlement. Stop harassing our fishermen, our own fishing communities of the PLM in the northern on the northern sea coast are uh, routinely harassed. Their old fishing boats are routinely harassed by Chinese military vessels. It's just madness. It's it's just stupidity. And this kind of bullying, this kind of aggra- this kind of you know minor <laughs> aggression, if you like, but it, it's not for the fishing communities. This has to stop. However. And China has to come to the negotiating table and have and de-escalate this militarization and military build-up. However, we must also bring in the larger picture and view Beijing's actions as stemming from an effort to expand its defense perimeter to protect its industrial heartland in in the south and southeastern China from a potential attack from U.S. bases and U.S. ships that are within a striking distance or just a few minutes from the Chinese coast. Of course, the U.S. has leveraged this dispute to its advantage, using this as an opportunity to militarize the region, signing various military agreements, including basic, basing agreements with the claimant countries. The Philippines signed the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement in 2014 with the U.S. in an attempt to secure territorial claims, which in fact increased the U.S. military access to East Asia And EDCA has made the the Philippines sort of a forwarding base uh, for its interventions in the region under EDCA. Contrast the stance taken by Vietnam, a very positive move by the Secretary General of the Vietnamese Communist Party, Nguyen Phu Trong, during his visit to China last year. He reiterated to Beijing that his government would continue its 4 nose foreign policy approach in the region. That is that Vietnam would not join military alliances, side with one country, would not side with one country against another, would not give other countries permission to set up military bases or use its territory to carry out military activities against other countries and not use force or threaten to use force in international relations. Contrast this to the statement of the Philippine ambassador to, to Washington. Um, uh, who said that the uh, marcos administration the new administration might give the u.s permission to use its bases in the country in support of taiwan in event of host in the event of hostilities the marcos regime has also increased the number of u.s basing facilities in the philippines from five to nine it's added four new bases and currently as we speak as we sit here and discuss this the Philippines is hosting the biggest ever military exercise with the U.S. with 17,000 troops, 12,000 troops from the U.S., 5,000 from the Philippines, and 111 from Australia. We're not quite sure what the Australians are doing there. Um, and, um, uh, and this is, this is live ammunition. It's, so in the past, they, they, they didn't use live ammunition. We know this from reports on the ground. They're using live ammunition. And uh, it's essentially training the Philippine soldiers mm-hmm. how to use the military equipment. And this has been described in the Philippines as the recolonization of the Philippines by the United States. Um, so uh, I have now Taiwan... Uh, through the, though the war in Ukraine is a leading geopolitical trouble spot today, the Taiwan Straits and the South China Sea are a close second. Taiwan is increasingly becoming a key piece in the U.S. militarization plans in the region. Washington's aggressive approach to addressing its decline as a hegemonic power is fraught with danger. And Washington's bellicose mood was underlined by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan last year, followed by President Biden's explicit commitment to assist Taiwan militarily. Now, China's strategy for a long time has been, uh, while it considers the Taiwanese sovereignty non-negotiable, its strategy has been to promote cross strait economic integration. But according to some analysts in the Philippines today, this has now moved to a tactical offensive, uh, if you like, in the last two decades in the region. And the trigger was, the trigger for this, from the sort of economic integration towards a more tactical offensive, has been Taiwan. And this is primarily in response to uh, how the U.S. has leveraged the unresolved question of Taiwan, especially under uh, the Clinton administration, and since then. It's, It's China's response to it, and also secondarily how the capitalist politicians in Taiwan use this dispute. Due for, for popularity and political gain. And Washington's intervention, especially under Clinton, revealed just how vulnerable to China, how vulnerable the coastal region of East and Southeast China, the industrial heartland, is to U.S. naval firepower. We recognize Taiwan's national sovereignty, but at the same time, we oppose U.S. plans to use the unresolved status of Taiwan to pursue war plans against China. Finally, the U.S. war plans will have a disastrous impact on people, or the U.S.-led war plans will have a disastrous impact on the peoples in the region, a disastrous impact on the climate emergency in the region. We know that the imperialist bloc of the global north are prepared to fight China to the last Filipino standing and have no concern Absolutely no concern about destroying the ecology in the region and our countries. Our little brown lives, our environment and climate don't matter to them. It never has and it never will. We have absolutely no illusions about this. They will fight to the last person standing in the Southeast Asia and the Asia region. Some of our governments are no better, as I have uh, explained the role of the Marcos regime, which is made it very clear that it is willing to be used as a U.S. proxy in this war. We have, to, we, sta- we have to state that. This is the position of the Marcos regime. Building a mass anti-war movement based on regional and international solidarity is key. International solidarity is also absolutely key. And the left has to take the lead on this. We must use every platform, every arena of struggle to do this. In the Philippines, it took a people's power revolution to get rid of the two major U.S. bases in the country, the infamous Clark and Subic uh, bases, which, through massive mass movements, which put uh, pressure on the Senate in September 1991, ending almost a century of American military presence in the country. We believe that this is the challenge we face again. Uh, that uh, a people's power revol- It took a people's power revolution in the Philippines to get rid of two of the largest U.S. military bases after 100 years of military presence in the Philippines. We believe that this is the challenge we face again. We call it the continuing revolution. In Australia, you have the experience of the anti-Vietnam War movement that won its key demands to pull out troops. It won the main demand to pull out troops. And I think there are a lot of lessons here to, to be learned as well. Now I've just got two slides uh, to show, which um, just puts up all the basic demands that we put forward, and it was uh, adopted by the by the Southeast Asian Left Conference that was held in November last year.
0: You're just listening to a recording of, um, good morning, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And you're just listening to a recording of a talk by Rahana Muradin, um, who was, who spoke at a public forum on Tuesday, um, the 18th of April that was organized by Green Left and Socialist Alliance on opposing, um, militarism in the Asia Pacific and why AUKUS is a disaster for humanity. Now, I'm just going to go play a quick, um, I'll play a quick, I'll actually play a quick announcement. Um, And, in fact, I'll just play this kind of recording um, basically on May Day um, and and the kind of facts um, by Joe Toscano. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
4: What do Christianity and May Day have in common? Both movements have stolen pagan feast days. The Christians stole the pagan feast day of Christmas, and trade unionists and militant workers stole the 1st of May, a very important day in the calendar in the Northern Hemisphere for pagan festivals. But in 1884, at a conference with the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada in the United States, the conference decided to launch an intensive campaign for an eight-hour working day and encouraged widespread strikes and struggles on the 1st of May, 1886. In Australia, in Melbourne, on the 1st of May, 1886, brothers David and William Andre, heeding the call of the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada, launched the Melbourne Anarchist Club, Australia's first anarchist organisation. On the 1st of May 1892, the first public demonstration was held in Melbourne to celebrate May Day on the Yarra Bank. The meeting was chaired by well-known Melbourne anarchist Chummy Fleming. May Day in Australia is an anarchist day. Happy May Day. Enjoy the pagan rituals that we all love to do on May Day.
0: Right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And so before our next, our next sort of live interview that we have lined up, I thought we would, um, draw from the guests and, um, give, give a bit of a news report from the pages of Green Left. And Green Left just published this article yesterday, which is reporting on, uh, and we actually covered this, um, we covered this in an interview actually, a few, um, in, um, several weeks ago but it's basically about um it's basically reporting on how the sydney university um, the ntu branch of, at sydney university has basically voted to end uh, a historic kind of strike campaign but the fight kind of continues essentially this um ntu members at the university of sydney you know, voted to end their industrial action after 22 months of strikes, meetings, forums, stores, information bulletins and rallies. And um, the the mass meeting of union members, which um, voted by 364 to 290 on April 18th against a motion to launch a free day strike in the week starting on May 1st. The campaign has been, was led by militant groups at a militant group at University of Sydney, Rank and File Action, which moved the motion for the 72-hour week of action. And Makella Pangrees um, Who's actually re- Being interviewed On Green Left um, She told Green Left That the vote To end strike action And conditionally Support management's Offer was disappointing And You know She is critical Of, of In a sense that She believed That the members Essentially voted a, a, man, a motion That gives conditional Support for a Substandard deal So unfortunately The vote to end Strike action Is in a some A sense A disappointing A, a win for management And she points out that, you know, the General Secretary, Damon Cahill, and New South Wales Branch Industrial Officer, Simon Kepton, you know, strongly urged the April 18th meeting to wind up the industrial action. Cahill and others from the NTU executive ad- advocated the National Rapid Settlement Strategy, Pangree said, which I think relies on the threat of aberration and new industrial relation laws to pressure members to capitulate. And of course but um she argued that um man um, argues that the um that this strategy prioritized setting agreements as soon as possible using the agreement argument that continuing to fight would weaken the branch and undermine bargaining at early universities now on the other hand you know despite despite this compromise I mean it is reported that you know the um the NGU, Sydney, from you know their months of kind of struggle you know won a number of important wings including you know um, including decasualisation has been put on the map. There are 330 new ongoing positions, and current casual staff have been given priority for 30% of these. And I think these are in a sense big step forward, despite. Um the extremely sort of hostile, uh, university management. And of course, there's, you know, the, the, um, rank and file action sort of work in engaging, U- um, union members was right within the NTU. And of course, the NTU branch has sort of grown, um, in this. And of course, yeah, while people are, um, while some, um, of the member, the activists are disappointed with the outcome of the vote, they're going to continue to keep up, um, up the fight. So yeah, I think that was, um, yeah. And I guess probably one kind of thing to note as well is there's going to be, there is going to be ongoing disputes, um, Mm. starting to happen at Deakin University, Melbourne University and Monash. And so I think, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be advertising some of the strike actions so some of our listeners can stand in solidarity. I think, you know, the universe, um, the fights against, ongoing fights against university management are going to be very important workers struggles in this coming period.
2: Yeah, this is a very um inspiring well would have been a very inspiring strike campaign in solidarity to all two hundred and ninety members who voted in favor of that three day strike. Um, you know, they were they showed that they were prepared to fight and speak out to push things in a more radical direction and in that process they've won um better working conditions for everyone. And just a reminder that RAFA is holding an online forum called Building a Fighting Union Lessons from the University of Sydney on May 5th at 12pm. And yeah, those uh, workers and students at Melbourne Uni, Deakin and Monash um, are also organising industrial action, so we make sure we support them and we hope they win their demands.
0: Okay, well, I'm just going to go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM.
1: Fafiyas are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kaffiya to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. that's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au, a 3CR supporter.
7: We've got a common enemy, the same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel, is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity, it's about building workers united self-defense mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle.
4: You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au.
0: Okay. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And um, we're joined today um, in the studio um, by um, Melbourne um, social... E- Equity um, Institute Community Fellows, Mike um, um, Collins and Kelly Whitworth. And Kelly Whitworth is also, as some of our listeners know, is also a presenter on um, FreeCR as well. Um, so, yeah, they're, joined, um, they're joining us today because um, they actually have been um, – they're part of launching some um, new research, um, which is basically um, – and they're going to be having an event about this kind of um, research. And basically, this research kind of draws on um, the Bendigo kind of street kind of occupation – and um, you know, basically they've kind of found some, you know, lessons that can be kind of drawn from it from um, in terms of housing activists and also policy makers. Um and they're also going to be launching um, the research next Tuesday and I will give I'll give them opportunity to kind of give details um about it. Um but yeah, um good morning um Mike and um Kelly for being on our programme.
5: Good morning. Good morning, Jacob and Chloe. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thank,
2: Thank
0: you. you. Um yeah I guess to kind of start off um, without going into kind of long detail because obviously we want to talk a bit about a bit more about the kind of research, um, but just for our listeners, can you I guess start off by I guess giving a bit of um, an overview I guess of the Bendigo Street occupation that took place in two thousand and sixteen that very much kind of shaped um, this research.
5: Yeah, it was a really big event that went down in 2016, as you say. It went for about eight months, kicked off around Easter, and um I was a member of the Homeless Persons Union at the time, which was a, a peer grassroots grass kind of collective advocating for yeah, legal and political and human rights of people experiencing homelessness in Melbourne and Victoria. And um, so we have a, a bit of a network there. We have a lot of friends who have been homeless. I've been homeless myself. Um, and we got wind that um, these people that we know had um, been um, squatting, had been occupying a house in this street called Bendigo Street in Collingwood. Um, and they were turfed out by... Um, Uh, government uh, people about two or three days into their stay without any recourse to any support for housing elsewhere they were just yeah unceremoniously turfed out and um they become aware that there was like multiple houses on this street that were empty and um and this is all tied up with the East-West Link, which was a major transport project that was supposed to be going ahead, um, you know, for a number of years prior to that, which was cancelled, and the Liberal government had compulsorily acquired all these houses around Clifton Hill, Parkville, Collingwood, all around the joint. And um, and then they left empty when the project was cance- uh, uh, cancelled and... um some of the houses were given to the Salvation Army and the um, Magpie Nest, which is a, like a charity housing organisation. And six months um, after that announcement, the houses were still empty, despite them claiming they were going to give them to those most in need, that is, you know, people that were homeless. And so one day we um, decided, you know, after a few weeks of planning, that we were going to occupy one of the houses to draw attention um, to this issue and to draw out people responsible for the housing, who was managing them, who owned them, what was happening to these houses in a homelessness crisis. And we were there for eight months. And um, we just planned to be there one day. Eight
2: months. Um, and that was from... So that was from... That occupation lasted from March 30th to November 2nd in 2016, right? Yep. Before being attacked by armed um, police. Uh, thanks for that background. Um, what can you tell us about the research that has been undertaken with the Melbourne Social Equity Institute and informal Urbanism Hub, drawing on the experience of the occupation?
6: Well, I, um, I, I work in local governments and I work a uh, lot in housing policy. I saw what was happening at Bendigo Street at the time had some connection with it with talking to the HPUV at the time and being a supporter in my own way I didn't work in the the local government that um, Bendigo Street was in but um, and I kind of watched what happened and thought this is actually it's a very significant event that happened it was highly unusual in Australia, for um, activists to actually not just protest, which this kind of started off with a protest outside the houses, but it's like they went in. And they went into the house on the street and right across Melbourne. Um, there was a an awful lot of attention, a lot of media attention, a lot of political attention put on this. Um, and it felt like a really important... Event and series of uh, events to understand, and coming from from a government perspective, being uh, in government and in local government, I thought, well, what actually happened kind of on the ground? Um, these things happen, and then people they end, people go on with their lives. But I'm kind of, I thought it was really important that we actually understand. Um, what was happening on the ground to everybody involved and from that other things to kind of understand um, for for the future. So out of that um, I um, had been a little bit connected to the University of Melbourne Social Equity Institute. They're a fantastic little institute within the University of Melbourne. They do probably some of the most Important kind of research and their research is really about bringing people who are not necessarily academics in to actually do and be able to tell the stories that are often unheard stories and, and difficult stories to tell. And out of that was a suggestion that maybe coming from government, I, um, I could have a perspective, um, on, um, this event, but I really wanted to kind of work with, um, uh, somebody who's actually there and on the ground and, and I knew Kelly a bit and I, um, we just came up with this proposal to to work together on this and to kind of go on a journey between ourselves you know a bit of an odd couple we are but you know we, we, we kind of coming from our different perspectives on to understand what happened so that was the kind of genesis of it and then we uh, started uh, talking to people and reading a lot and talking a lot to, to each other as well to understand what happened.
0: And um, going into that, I guess, um, because I guess part of your kind of launch, um, you've um, kind of, um, one of the kind of things about as that, I, I guess, in terms of the kind of conclusions, I guess, of this sort of research and, um, basically, I guess, what can you, I guess, tell us about, you know, some of the lessons, um, that have, I guess, been revealed for this, ver- um, research, which you say is lessons that can be applied for both, you know, housing activists, um, and also policy makers, um, in regards to kind of housing and, and other, and other things.
6: Yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll pick up on a couple just on, on the, the local government kind of end. I, I wanted it just not to be a piece of, you know, research that, that, uh, you know, is interesting but, um, isn't useful. We we wanted to come up with, as, as you say, some, some recommendations out of our insights from the research. Uh, one of them is, I think, in terms of looking at how local government operates is, um, really with the best will in the world of people who, who work in local government, may, may be they elected councillors or the officers in, in the organisation, they it's sometimes really hard to understand what's going on when mm-hmm. you're kind of dealing with them. It's, it's they're, they're, they're their own language, their own kind of rules. The way decisions get made is really hard to understand sometimes. So that communication to people in their communities... And especially when there's a point where there's, there's an action, there's activism, um, to, to understand, well, what are the ways in which things can happen or things can happen better um, by understanding the kind of processes of government? So that's one thing we think they can do a lot better at doing.
5: And to yeah. add to that, I guess... Um for actually counsel people to get out of their big buildings and their offices, and to actually get down to the site of the action, wherever it may be occurring, and speak to people yeah. that are on the ground because we also, you know, as you know, just adding to what Mike said, you know, one of the big issues was, in, and for us during Bendigo Street, we didn't know how all those processes worked. We didn't know who to reach out to. They didn't communicate it well. Um, so, yeah, they really need to get out of those buildings and get down to where the people are and really, and really hear what's happening in their community, especially if their, um, if their goals are, are aligned. You know, if local government yeah. does have a policy in place to support, um, you know, housing f- for all, they really need to reach out to grassroots activists on the ground and, um, support them, um, in many different ways as a report, uh, speaks to as well. There's many practical things that they can, um, do things like um, um, helping them with um, media resources like the uh, councils have a really big uh, well-funded communications team, they could provide resources, resources to help activists understand how they can handle the media better, and that maybe they can liaise between, you know, state government, federal government, and activists on the ground. And they could implement things like a well-being plan, um, so activists don't burn out. Like Med- Bendigo Street was really taxing mm-hmm. on a lot of us for a long time afterwards. It took a lot out of us. They could do things like that to support activists well-being you know when their goals are aligned what else uh, mike
6: um i think the other kind of insight i think we had from from talking to local government people from talking to people who were involved in the occupation was that how it's crucial to get the support of the elected officials um Local government's full of, a lot of reasons why people work in local government, and I guess I count myself in on that, is they're often passionate and care and want to have mm. good support for the community, they want change to happen, but the, the workers inside local government aren't necessarily the ones that have the power to really kind of drive the resources and and get the get the big voice to be heard of local government in terms of kind of support it's the elected officials now they're often local councillors they've got you know they're representing 20,000 people they're only paid a part-time wage they're really sometimes really taxed in terms of how much time and energy they have Mm -hmm. to give attention to things so a strategy for getting at least one but two or three or four councillors who understand your issue can really be critical because they're the ones making the decisions in the chamber sometimes you know for to push resources or to really you know make a strong stand with government with state government etc so that was a key thing i think we really understood that um what happened at um, uh, in Bendigo Street in relation to 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 Yarra Council at the time is Yarra Council had coming up to the occupation had said these houses should be should be social housing uh, you know they were advocating for that, and then they kind of backed away once the occupation happened and kind of and and so that pressure on mm-hmm. state government to support kind of ebbed away um, and I think there was an opportunity there that could have been, that, uh, you know, a uh, bet there could have been a better outcome. The really sad thing that's happened with Bendigo Street, with the houses that were occupied, is they ended up um, pretty much, I think, nearly all, but the vast majority of them were sold on the on the open market for up to upwards nine hundred thousand a million dollars, um, and you know that that in itself, I think could it could have been something different There could have, could be housing re- there today in that street for people in our community who really need it and we know there's a lot of people in our community really need um uh, affordable affordable housing
3: hmm.
0: and um you've given i guess a great kind of summary i guess of the kind of research and i'm actually you know hoping to i'm looking forward to kind of um kind of the launch of it um on on tuesday but i'm um, Outside the law, um, this research, um, I was wondering if Kelly um, could um, just give a bit of a plug to this, but there is also a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, to create a documentary, um, film covering the 2016 Bendigo Street. And just wondering if you wanted to just give it a bit of a plug, um, just give you an opportunity to give it a kind of a bit of a plug because I do think it's, um, it's kind of an important kind of crowdfunding campaign. It
5: is. And it just adds, um, to our project, you know, um, cause this was a really big event that happened. And if, uh, multiple people involved can tell their, the story from their perspective, well, that's great. You know, the more the merrier. And so one of the, um, um, occupants, um, Jasmine Bazani um, has, um, uh, um, created a, a, a little teaser film, a 20 minute film, um, called Bendigo Street. And it's about the, um, the campaign from, um, her perspective. And it's a great little film and you can find it online. And, um, yeah, so she's in the process of raising funds to, um, make a feature about it. Have you seen the, the teaser? Jacob?
0: Oh I haven't gotten around to watching it, sorry. Oh. Yeah. It's
5: fantastic. Mike's seen it.
6: Yeah, it is um, it's great. Stunning. It, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning the you know, you can read words on paper but, but the energy there was you know, there was a lot of great footage taken at the time. I think the the energy that it captures in terms of what was happening at the time is it's really important I think that there's there's a there's a audiovisual document as well. Of, of the occupation, I think, because um, I think it was a really important historical event in terms of housing justice and uh, in Melbourne.
2: Yeah, I think they've raised um, six thousand dollars so far, and we need to raise twenty. So we, we're encouraging people to get behind that that um, fundraiser. But it, we do need more researchers like you. I mean, it sounds like you know you do you are trying to recognise grassroots activism as, you know, something that is actually creating change and with our massive housing crisis. I mean, it would have been a great legacy to have Bendigo Street turn into a
5: huge public housing um, estate. <laughs> I must mention though that, um, like there were a lot of victories that came out of the campaign and people that were very vulnerable on the street did end up getting public housing permanent elsewhere, not on Bendigo Street, but elsewhere in the community. So that's a huge win and we are so proud of that. Those people are continuing to, to live their survivors today and they have secure, affordable public housing. It just doesn't happen to be on Bendigo Street, and that's a real, one of the tragedies about the occupation is that, um, yeah, those houses, most of them ended up getting sold for over a million dollars. You know, there was a really, it's very sad, it's a missed opportunity there for council to really do something.
2: Yeah.
0: I'll do, I'll, you Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, 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 I'll, I'll, well, I'll do that. I'll ask the kind of final question. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess thanks for both of you for coming on our program especially coming in live um because yeah we haven't been able to do much um, um live interviews yeah. um of of recently in the past several years and i guess do you have any guess final comments that you'd like to make and also i guess more importantly um just for our listeners uh giving us details of the launch which um we'll definitely attach details of the launch when we um podcast this program mm-hmm. um which will um be available i think on saturday um Yeah, but just for our listeners right now, can you give us details of the launch and any final comments that you'd like
6: to make? Um, Well, the launch is happening at 6 o'clock next Tuesday, 2nd of May at um, the University of Melbourne, and we're just really thankful again for our support from the Melbourne Social Equity Institute and from the um, Informal Research Hub, which is based there in the Melbourne School of Design. It's... um, you can book to watch it online. Unfortunately, well, fortunately that there's a lot of interest, so that, so the uh, it's booked out in terms of actually being there present, but you could, if you, um, look up the Melbourne Social Equity Institute, Bendigo Street, there's, um, uh, you'll find a booking link there, and also, uh, there will be a link to the actual research itself, uh, it should be up, um, by the weekend, so, uh, uh, we want people even to have a quick read of it even before the event, but certainly uh, we encourage people maybe to w- to watch online. We'll we'll try to make it interesting. We're going to have a great panel. Yeah,
5: we've of got a great people. panel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, Of um, yeah. Who are the panel? Ma- Mike? Um, should we send
6: Yeah, um, Anne Barton, who's um, who who worked in in Yarra Council d- during this period. And, um, Meg Fitzgerald from the Fitzroy Legal Centre, um, is also there. And, um, and, uh, Pat, um, Chappelloni. Chappelloni, um, a, a, who's, um, very much involved in the occupation as well, will be there. And we'll be having a, I guess, a conversation, uh, about the research, but also about, um, the actual events as well. And we're, we're just really encouraging people and online as well to put in questions, uh, because, uh, we We want this to uh, hopefully stir up kind of questions, debates um, interest in um, not just research but actual action and like future action and how that can be the most effective.
2: yeah great, really inspiring thanks for coming on the show pleasure thanks Thank for having so us
0: much. Thanks again. Alright, so we'll go play a quick announcement. Um, we are just um, interviewing Mike, sorry, Mike Collins and um, Kelly Whitworth uh, about this launch of this new kind of research drawing on the um, Bendigo kind of street kind of occupation. Um, I'll just go play a quick announcement and it'll be time to go into the Green Left Actors Calendar. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, 855 AM. <laughs>
3: The Yurok Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Thursday, April 27 to Friday, May 12, Yurok is holding public hearings to question Victorian Government Ministers, senior bureaucrats and Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police about injustice against First Peoples in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at yurukjusticecommission.org.au A 3CR supporter.
2: You're back on Green Left Radio on 3CR and now it's time for the Green Left Calendar and we'll start with today, um, Friday, April the 28th. We've got... International Workers' Day memorial, which is going to be at 10:30 a.m. Argyle Square in Carlton. And just just quickly on that, um, for people who don't know what International Workers' Memorial Memorial Day is, it's about remembering those who have been killed, disabled, um, or physically uh, or mentally injured. By their work, um, since you know bosses do put profits ahead of workplace safety, um, this will be, uh, y- you know, it will be important to to attend this this event. Um, also, there's a, a disobedience civ- um, street party for climate at 4:30 p.m. at Carlton Gardens, in Carlton. There's a film screening, um, uh, Luku Ndara the law of the land at 7 p.m. The, at the Capitol at 113 Swanson Street in the city. On Sunday, April the 30th, there's a film screening The Survival of Kindness at 4 p.m. Cinema, Cinema Nova, which is on Lygon Street in Carlton. And then we've got on the 1st of May, May Day for Freedom and Liberation, and that's going to be at 5:30 at the State Library. Then there's a forum, Fast Fashion Kills, a symposium on May Day at 7 p.m. at Trades Hall in um, Carlton. And then on Wednesday, the 3rd of May, there's going to be an NTU Melbourne Uni strike action at 11 a.m. at the New Student Precinct Amphitheatre near Swanson Street um, tram stop entrance. And then on Thursday, May 4th, there's a film screening, The Inspection at Cinema Nova. Uh, on May 4th, there's going to be a memorial to workers who won the 8-hour day at 5 p.m. at the 8-hour day memorial, which is opposite Victorian Trades Hall. On Friday, May 5th, there's going to be um, – is it a, co- a concert? Uh, You're a Boy, Oh My God, I'm Black, Melbourne Recital Centre, and that's going to be at 31 Sturt Street on Southbank. Um, I think I, do I stop there or do I keep going on oh, <laughs> the calendar? Uh, keep going. Okay. Uh, on, and then also on Friday, May 5th, Bobby Sands, uh, commemoration is at 5.30pm at Trades Hall, uh, Hunger Strikers, uh, pl- at the Hunger Strikers plaque at 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. Um, and on Saturday, Um, May the 6th to Sunday, May the 7th, there's Climate Carnival, uh, and that's going to be at 10 to 12 Moreland Road in East Brunswick. And on Saturday, May the 6th, there is a community meeting, meet local Marybeth councillors, Monica Hart and Sue Bolton at 2pm at the Tennis Club, ATC Cook Reserve, 1 Ash Court, Glenroy. Uh, on Sunday, May 7th, there's a May Day. That's when the May Day rally and march is happening at 1 p.m. at the Ensemble um, Assemb- is it the Assemb- Assembly Trades Hall. Yeah, Assembly yeah, Trades yeah. Hall. Uh, and the march leaves at 2 p.m. and then returns to Trades Hall. And there are going to be community stalls and there's a breakfast barbecue and other activities starting from 10 a.m. And there's also, on the same day, there's a forum, um, called Frontier Fictions with Tony Birch and Paul Dali, um, and that's going to be at 1.30pm at the State Library Conversation Quarter. Uh, and then, um, yeah, and then also another, another thing to, um, note coming up is the rally commemorating 75 years of Nakba. That's going to be at 1pm at the State Library, um, and, Yeah, encourage lots of people to, to, um, to get to that, that, um, rally. Friday, May the 19th, there's a pro, uh, we were mentioning this before, a protest to defend drag time story, uh, drag story time, sorry, stop the far right at Oakley Library. And that event is by CAF, Campaign Against Racism and Fascism. And there's going to be Timor, or Less Solidarity, Keep the Change at 5.30 at Trades Hall on, Again on, on Friday, May, May 19th. And on Wednesday, May 24th, there's a film screening O oh, Jeremy Corbyn The Big Lie at 6 pm at the new international bookshop. <laughs>
0: All right, so we'll just finish up the activist calendar kind of there. Um, I just want to make a quick announcement that um, Matt Ward, who's our regular sort of music correspondent mm-hmm. on Green Left, has just um, really, um, has just um, published uh, his article for Green Left: Ten New Albums to Get You Back on the Streets. It's basically his music roundup from what has actually come up on April. And I thought I'd actually play uh, I play a song from that. Um, basically, this uh, this is um, from a, co- a compilation of um, of songs from um, from French musicians, but some of these um um songs basically draw on um strike chants um because basically um listeners are probably aware there's this really big, massive ongoing workers' strike uh against uh against Mac the Macron government um lowering the pension age. So yeah, I was gonna go play uh play a track. This is uh L'Evelle d'Essence the Essence by John Fortes. And, and- stay
2: t- and also stay tuned because we've got a spokesperson from XR, Catherine Strong, coming on after this song to mm-hmm. talk about Occupy for Climate Melbourne.
0: Thank you very much, colleague. You're listening to Left Radio on FreeCR, eight five five AM. normal. Hein?
2: You're back on 3CR here with Jacob and I on Green Left Radio. And uh, you were just listening to uh, John Fa- Faustus, um, Level Desence, uh was the song. And that was from 10 New Albums to Get You on the Streets uh, by Matt Ward in Green Left. Um, and we now have an interview with Catherine Strong, who is a spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion, and we, we've invited them on the show to talk about Occupy for Climate Melbourne, which is happening um, on the 25th, 26th and 27th of May in Melbourne's CD, CBD. Welcome to the show, Catherine.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, th- uh, can you tell our listeners about some of the features and demands of the Occupation?
1: Yes, so we are going to be out from the twenty fifth to the twenty seventh of May, um, and at the moment we are sort of running it under the banner of no new coal, no new gas, and no native logging because we think that they are some of the absolute fundamental, basic things that we should be doing to try and get a handle on this climate crisis that is unfolding. Um, We don't think any of those things are particularly controversial. We think that the government even thinking about opening new coal or gas at the moment is absolutely unconscionable. And the fact that we are still logging native forests in 2023... Uh, is also just like a moral wound on this country and something that we need to be getting across as soon as we possibly can. Um, but also Extinction Rebellion is, is really interested in uh, getting people to be able to have a say in our future. So what we're asking for at the end of the day is a uh, citizen's assemblies, where we get a representative group of people together to make informed decisions that don't have the input of politicians because we know they've failed this issue.
0: Yeah. Um, thanks, um, thanks for that um, response, Catherine. Um, so this is um, Jacob here, and I guess the kind of next question is, um, Extinction Rebellion has been um, holding um, weekly micro occupations throughout um, Nam Melbourne in the lead up to the Occupy for Climate campaign, and um, I think you're 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 pretty much at one kind of now. So can you give us, a guess, a bit of a you know on the ground kind of response um, to kind of what's what's happening right now?
1: Yes, I am at the bottom of the Arts Centre in Melbourne, and I am looking up right now at a fifteen-meter banner that has just finished being deployed um, at uh, on the spire of the Arts Banner uh, of the Arts Centre. Uh, it looks amazing. If anybody is in the CBD and you can walk past uh, down on Circular Road and have a look, it is worth checking out. Um, it's huge. It has a huge Extinction Rebellion uh, uh, symbol, plus Occupy for Climate, May 25th to 27th on it. So it's, it's our way of getting word out about this Occupy event that we're having. We've also got a whole bunch of uh, pop-up tents that we've set up down the bottom as well, because one of the things that we're hoping to do is camp in the CBD. Uh, and we're hoping to get a 1,000 people to commit to doing that. That's uh, one of the key things we're aiming for here.
2: Sounds really exciting, Catherine, and thanks for describing the scene for us. And yeah, encourage anyone to, to get down to the art Centre and, and um, show your support. Um, next question, Catherine, would you be able to just, um, you know, let listeners know or explain why mass, like a mass demonstration and direct action like this is important to win change, particularly when our right to protest is under attack?
1: Yes, I think it's very important that we be taken to the streets even more than ever. Uh, so here in Victoria, recent laws have been passed, although they haven't come into effect yet, that have uh, made it, uh, much, greatly increased the penalties for protesters who go into the forest to protest against the native logging forest, uh, uh, native forest logging that's happening there. And this is in line with increasing, uh, penalties for protesters across the country and around the world as well. Um, and this is something that's undemocratic. It's not OK. Uh, we need to be showing our governments that we will not accept that. Um, and we know that with the issue of the climate, um, people have spent decades now doing the polite things like sending letters to people, like signing petitions, like doing A to B marches. And the impact of that has been that emissions have been increasing. We haven't seen the turnaround that we need. We haven't seen the action that we need. Um, and this is an existential issue. Uh, scientists are talking about hell on earth they're talking about societal collapse they're telling us that action needs to happen now uh, and there's just no time to mess around anymore
0: and um what um I guess one of the things I, we want to ask, I guess, is I mean, you're at this kind of occupation right now and I guess why do you think that it's um you know, from Extinction Rebellion's kind of perspective, you know, why is it that, you know, protests and direct action like we just what just asked the question? Oh you just did? Oh sorry about that. Oh no, sorry, sorry, no, no. Uh the la- next we'll question rip- is um how can people get involved in Extinction Rebellion and can anyone sort of um join?
1: Uh, anybody can join. Uh, we, you don't need to feel as though you can do things like climb up the art of um, We've got lots and lots and lots of jobs that we need people to do. Um, and they don't involve always being... If you can't be on the streets, we've got things you can do that don't involve being on the streets. But it's the whole range of of, of, of uh, anything people can bring. We love it. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, so uh, XRBist. Um, Extinction Rebellion Victoria, um, you can go to ausrebellion.earth, and that's ausrebellion.earth, and you'll find all the information you need there as well to get involved with this campaign. Hmm.
0: And um, anything would you like to let our listeners know before we wrap up the interview? Like, how can people sign up for the Occupy for the Climate?
1: Um, I, I'm pretty sure that at this point in time, if you Google Occupy for Climate, um, I, I think we are one of the first tips that comes up there. So Great. that's a really quick and simple way to do that.
2: Great. Well, let's keep building the, the climate movement. We want to encourage people to get involved in this, and Extinction Rebellion Melbourne are, like you said, aiming to get at least a 1,000 people to rebel with them, um, occupy the streets and st- say no to n- new coal, no new gas, and no native forest logging. And, yeah, thanks, uh, Catherine, for taking the time out um, from that micro-occupation at the Arts Centre to speak to us.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
2: All oh, right. Um
0: oh, sorry,
1: just so you were just
2: listening to Catherine Strong who's part of Extinction Rebellion and she was just talking about Occupy for Climate Melbourne, um and that's happening on the twenty fifth, twenty sixth and twenty seventh of May, and we'll be um, you know, sharing the links to that, um to the information on how you can get involved um on the podcast on three C R.
0: All right, well we'll just play a quick few announcements, and then we might give um, we might round up the program with just a few kind of news stories. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM.
7: Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown, but want to find them a loving home? Drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website, www.booksandboots.org.au. We love a good book.
5: Everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in.
4: For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR
3: supporter.
0: all right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR eight five five AM, and so we're just going to go play a bit of um, we a bit of an announcement. This is just I'm giving a bit of a plug to um, one of our fellow presenters, Joe Toscano. But he's, um, he basically organizes, um, a, um, a kind of walking kind of tour. So this is just information about an annual walking tour that, um, Joe Toscano organizes about the anarchist origins of the Melbourne May Day celebrations. Um, so yeah, this will go on for four, um, four minutes and 50 seconds and then we'll kind of wrap up the program with, um, with, um, with a few other kind of updates. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855
4: AM. What do Christianity? and May Day have in common. Both movements have stolen pagan feast days. The Christians stole the pagan feast day of Christmas and trade unionists and militant workers stole the 1st of May, a very important day in the calendar in the Northern Hemisphere for pagan festivals. But... In 1884, at a conference of the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada in the United States, the conference decided to launch an intensive campaign for an eight-hour working day and encouraged widespread strikes and struggles on the 1st of May, 1886. In Australia, in Melbourne, on the 1st of May, 1886, Brothers David and William Andre, heeding the call of the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada, launched the Melbourne Anarchist Club, Australia's first anarchist organisation. On the 1st of May 1892, the first public demonstration was held in Melbourne to celebrate May Day on the Yarra Bank. The meeting was chaired by a well-known Melbourne Anarchist Chummy Fleming May Day in Australia is an anarchist day Happy May Day Enjoy the pagan rituals that we all love to do on May Day If you can walk two kilometres without dropping dead we, we encourage to join yours truly, Joseph Toscano, while I do a two-hour walking tour of prominent anarchist sites. We start off at Chummy Place in Carlton, which is the only piece of real estate named after an anarchist in Melbourne. Chummy Place. We then trundle on to the Melbourne Trades Hall to have a look at the monument to the anti-conscription movement, which was placed inside the trade's hall in case it was defaced, and that was in the 1920s. Then we'll trundle along to the agricultural hall, the centre of the Matiotti Club, when Italian socialists and anarchists tried to alert the trade union movement in Melbourne and Australia to the emerging fascist threat in Europe. Then we'll go across to the eight-hour monument, Well, they started collecting money in 1855 but didn't erect it till 1892 because the money kept going missing. And then we'll go to the Tanah Minoway Monument and you're wondering, what's that got to do with May Day? Well, it's an anarchist initiative. And from there, we'll go to a little restaurant in Exhibition Street. No, not to eat. In 1892, David Andre set up Melbourne's... First multi-storey anarchist centre. Vegetarian restaurant, bookstall, meeting place. Unfortunately, he went bankrupt two years later. Then we'll march along to Her Majesty's Theatre. And guess what? The Melbourne Anarchist Club first office was in Her Majesty's Theatre. And then we'll have lunch at the Paramount Food Hall. Cheap, accessible food. Monday the 1st of May and unfortunately I know some young folk are going to kind of dance in the streets on the 1st of May but unfortunately the traditional May Day march will be on Sunday the 7th of May so if you want to celebrate on the 1st like 3CR is doing come along to both events on the 1st of May if you want to get more information go to the Anarchist Media Institute website give us a call on zero four three nine. 439 395-489, Three nine five four eight nine. plenty of information on the net, but the important thing is we need you there at 11am on the 1st of May because we need to celebrate May Day on the day that it's meant to be. And whether you're a pagan or a Christian or a trade unionist or you're all of them, come along for the walking tour on the 1st of May at 11am at Chummy Place in Carlton. Yeah, you're listening to
0: Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. So I thought, um, I'd like to, um, get ready. Um, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, I think it's actually been a great program. We've covered uh, a kind of diverse kind of range of, of content. Um, but I guess I want to give a guest a bit of a kind of plug, you know, to keep you know, news um, like Green Left Radio to keep programs like Green Left Radio and also Free CR on on the air. You know, because we're not backed by you know major corporations. You know, we we're attempting to kind of challenge the kind of oppression of the of of the capitalist system and actually build the active resistance um, of ordinary people against against the capitalist system. You know, we actually rely very generously on the donations and support of ordinary people to keep. To keep programs like Green Left and um Radio like Green Left Radio going and and the Green Left Project and so just to give a plug if you you know support our work you can become a supporter for as low as ten dollars a month or five dollars a month um for um for the online edition of Green Left but also you can also um in terms of supporting Free CR you can also support Free CR by becoming a subscriber and you can become a supporter of Green Left by going on our website greenleft.org.au forward slash support and also if you go on the FreeCR website which is freecr.org AU. and also this program will be um podcasted um and we'll be uploading this program and it'll probably be uploaded on saturday morning um so say stay tuned for that but there'll also be there's also usually an unedited sort of um, version of the program um that automatically gets put up on our website as well um and you can find out the podcast on free on the freecr.org.au website but yeah chloe do you have any sort of final comments you want to make too
2: yeah, I wanna direct people's attention to the Green Left News Podcast, which is um that's a new um news podcast that's been launched um by Sit um the people in the Green Left writers in Sydney. Um and yeah, I encourage people to have a listen. It's available on Pod Podbean and uh yeah, it covers a lot of interesting issues. And, you know, here at Green Left and Three C R we're you know, like Jacob said, we are constantly helping to build movements of resistance as well as the anti-capitalist political alternative. And we're going to keep doing that even if conditions aren't in our favour. And we want to thank all our supporters for their generosity for keeping uh, things like Green Left and 3CR alive. Um, They are 100% people-powered projects. We receive no corporate funding and that's how we can stay independent and and keep going. So, And if you are a supporter, you're part of... Um, building remo- um, the movements and you're part of the solution. So yeah, get in touch with us and get in touch with your local activist centre and become a supporter. Thanks for listening.
1: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit.
0: If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise,
7: you workers from their spammers, Arise, you prisoners of want for reason in revolt now thunders and it last since the age of Kant away with all your superstitions serve all masses arise we'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize that's right the coins are back
1: Reds underneath your beds in that crap. 3cr here to stay